welcome back to another episode of Puncher's Chance with Pinnacle, the podcast that covers boxing betting from every angle. I'm your host, Chris McCarthy, and as usual, I'm joined by the ever-insightful Tom Craze to run his rule over all the big fight odds. Tom, how are you, mate? Good, thanks, Chris. How are you? All good, mate. Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. And uh, secondly, we've got uh, another guest back who was on last time on uh, the Puncher's Chance episode. It's uh, Sky Boxing commentator and talk sport host, Andy Clark. Andy, how are you, bud? Very well, chaps. Very well. Just uh, trying to keep myself under control because uh, the big fight at Wembley is is nigh. It's it's drawing ever closer. Uh, I was down there yesterday, out on the pitch in the sunshine, watching them do a few photos after the press conference, and and it just uh, you know what big fight weeks are like. Just day by day, it kind of it gets under your skin and into your blood and 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 into your soul more and more and more. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Now, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, great. Great introduction, Jensen. Doesn't need me to tell you exactly. There's no surprises of where we're going to start. Um, obviously, as Andy touched upon, the all British blockbuster, massive heavyweight fight kind of awaits us this weekend. Tyson Fury versus Dillian White, um, Wembley Stadium in front of 94,000 people, which sounds <laughs> exciting uh, to say the least. Um, what a fight to, um, to start off with. I mean, Fury unbeaten, put the WBC crown on the line. Um, coming off a win against Deontay Wilder. I mean, destroying Deontay Wilder last time out in Las Vegas in what was probably the fight of the year. Um, enters the ring as a massive betting odds favourite in this one, actually. Um, White last box back in March of 2021, I believe, when he was you know, getting revenge over uh, Alexander Povetkin after being brutally knocked out in the first fight. Um, so there's a bit, of, uh, a bit of intrigue in terms of the analysis for this. We'll... Um, Tom, I'll start, I'll go to you. I mean, me and you are usually share a fairly kind of similar opinion when it comes to where we see, where we, where we think the value sits in terms of the odds and the analysis and things like that. I've got a slight feeling that you're going to say you feel that Fury is a little bit too short here because Fury comes in at odds of 1.175, which is an 82% chance in the fair betting. White 5.520, which equates to around about 18% chance. Now, obviously not to say that I feel that Fury's not going to win, but what's your kind of original thoughts on where, the, where their mods sit as such at the minute? Yeah, I think you took the words out of my mouth there, Chris, really. Um, probably we've been doing this podcast too long. You know exactly what I'm going to say. <laughs> don't you? Um, I think whichever way you kind of carve up this fight, there's no realistic analysis that says Fury is not the worthy favourite and shouldn't be anything other than a heavy, heavy favourite to beat Dillian White. That that much is kind of clear. I think it's a classic kind of example of the likelihood of someone winning versus actually the, the price on offer. Um, look, back in Fury at 1.17, as you said, which in kind of old money is about 2 to 11 fractional odds, about eight, uh, like you said, about 80-ish percent. There's no value there. I think he, although no, no matter how likely you think he is to win. If you're backing a guy that short, who's that vulnerable, who was knocked down four times against Deontay Wilder, albeit Wilder is one of the heaviest punchers in history, um, you're doing something wrong. I think the the price at which I would be interested to back Fury on the outright would be something like one point, maybe two, two, nine, one point three. Anything kind of sub 1.2 is just too short. Um, and I think you'd have to look at the at the props at the at the alternative markets if you want to side with Fury in this one. 
Yeah, I mean, I kind of say exactly the same as what you said. I kind of agree with um, everything you said there. I was kind of looking at when the line come out and looking at maybe even up in the 1.3738 to even be convinced it was, uh, I mean, it is very, very short, like in, in, in the bet in there. So it is quite intriguing to see how kind of it's priced up and how it has been priced up in terms of um, where it sits. I mean, there's a fair few variables that could 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 be why that is. Um, Andy, I'll go to you. You might be able to uh, digest some of them and give us a bit of a uh, bit of expert insight into into why they the odds sit so heavily with Fury. I mean, you're you touched on it at the start. I mean, you're you're part of um, Fight Week with Talk Sport. Obviously, you're going to be there at Wembley. Um, going to be a great event. I mean, you've been around. Uh, the guys this week. I'm sure you've interviewed both Yuri and White. What's the kind of consensus? You know, the feel of kind of, you know, the big fight week. Is there maybe an upset in the air, or is it just kind of, kind of ticking along, and people are thinking it's going to be a routine victory for for Fury? It's kind of ticking along in that they're both comfortable in each other's company. They were at the press conference. The team's got a little bit kind of leery, but that's often the way, isn't it? It's it's often people who aren't actually going to fight who, who get all brave in, in certain situations. Um, John Fury being being one of them. Um, he seems a fairly uncontrollable force at times. <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. But having said that, I do think that the odds are accurate placing Fury as an 80% favourite to win. I would probably even maybe put him slightly higher than that if I had to say genuinely what what chance I thought White had of winning. I think if these two box 10 times, Fury might win nine times because he's just, in that division, I think he is, he's a preeminent fighter and he's shown that he can do it any which way. Uh, and, and that for me is the key. He can box and, and move like a middleweight as a 20 stone man. We know he can do that. And he's always been able to do that. But in the last two fights, what he's shown us is pure traditional old school seek and destroy heavyweight carnage, basically. And that's what he wants to give people now because he wasn't happy with the draw. He felt he could have done more and taken it out of the judge's hands. And he went to the cronk to Sugar Hill uh, and Andy Lee. And now that's what they do. Uh, strangely enough, I think that that probably gives Dillian a slightly better chance than, than and if we were going to see the fury of old, he would yeah. would almost get up on his on his toes at times. When you look at it kind of rationally, uh, as I say, I, I absolutely pick Fury to win. But if you look at things that have actually happened in real life as well, and Tom mentioned, you both mentioned, he's been down. Um, he, he's been down before um, in his career, uh, not just at the hands of Deontay Wilder. So Fury to win, but get knocked down, having come off the canvas, is is something that I think you can look at as being rationally um, imaginable because you look at what's happened to both of them uh, and White can punch. We, we know that. And something else I always, I'm always kind of tempted by in these fights where no one's really talking about this going the distance, are they? I've not really heard anyone. I've not really heard anyone say that. And quite often in big fights, when people talk about how it's going to be this and it's going to be that quite often it isn't. And then it goes the distance. I mean, nobody thought Wilder Fury, Fury Wilder rather, the third time around would go past halfway. And it nearly went the full the full distance into the 11th. So I think, yeah. you know, fights can always surprise you, but it, it's right that, that Fury is a heavy favourite. As you say, that doesn't really leave an awful lot of room to kind of back him just for the just for the win. But, but yeah, I think maybe him going down, having to climb off the canvas and win, 
Um, round eight is winking at me. It has been all week. But I don't really know why. Um, I, I don't really know. Well, I do. I mean, that, that's, you know, that's a kind of analysis of what I think could happen. Um, well, I think last time out, you was nearly spot on with um, the Yakel Brook shout. So you can't, I think it was one round off. So maybe this time you'll I be was, uh, yeah, one round was on. Absolutely. God, God, I was furious about that. Um, but, but I'm really looking forward to it. I, I think it's, it, it sounds like a really odd thing to say because I've just said that Dillian White like a 10% chance of winning, basically. But I absolutely yeah. don't rule him out because yeah, sure. Fury could underperform. Um, that could happen. I don't think it will happen because I think he's he's the kind of bloke who loves this spotlight that much that I don't see him having an off night. Uh, yeah. Dillian White is comfortable in these surroundings. You know, he's been doing this a really long time as well. He won't freeze. He won't bottle out. He'll give it everything he's got. Um, yeah. I don't think it'll be enough, but but I do certainly expect to enjoy it. I think it's going to be good to watch. Yeah, sure. I mean, he is he's he's, he's game as they come, isn't he? And he's uh, he's certainly got. You know, it's part of the pun, but a puncher's chance in this uh, in this fight. I mean, one thing I did want to kind of get both you guys' views on as well, which like I touched upon at the start, but and I'm I'm thinking this might be where the betting line sits so heavily with Yuri is almost it's not really been mentioned too much or if, if at all really what I think, but Dillian White has been very inactive <laughs> recently, so he hasn't really boxed um, at all. I think I think I said at the start his I think his last fight was against Povetkin, wasn't it? In March 2021, Povetkin was coming off kind of, I mean, he looked laboured in that. I think he was coming off like a heavy bout of COVID. He just didn't look, he was all at sea, wasn't he? And White just kind of went straight through him. I mean, is that inactivity going to play a key part in this? Because looking at it, I mean, what's that, nearly a year out the ring and he's coming into a fight against arguably the best fighter in the division, someone who's got, you know, a petrol tank that can last, as we've seen against Wilder for the duration of the fight. And he seemed, Fury to me, seems like someone as well who, especially on the Sugar Hill, who gets stronger and better as the fight goes on, whereas White's more someone who kind of gets, I mean, as we saw against Joseph Parker and people like that, he kind of becomes more vulnerable as the fight goes into the later rounds, whereas Fury seems to be kind of this absolute machine, you know, it can kind of just keep going and going and going. I mean, against against Wilder, he looked like he'd go on for another kind of six, seven rounds. So, um, Tom, I'll go to you. Like, do you think that the inactivity will play kind of a key role in this? It's, I mean, looking at what I was touching upon there, it's got, it's got to have some kind of effect, hasn't it, in a fight like this? I don't know if inactivity is the potential downfall of White here, because I think you could say that even if he was active, even if he was fighting every three, four, five, six months. He's still a guy who's shown that he does tire in the second half of fights. We've seen that against Chisora, as you say, against Parker, against Joshua. Um, And so even if I think he was kind of match fit, as it were, I would still be worried about his stamina against someone as kind of relentless as Fury. And I think we kind of all agreed that Fury is going to be the guy who goes forward and, and is that kind of sugar hill fighter. I think... Look, White's best chance is his power. And I think there's every argument to say that he is, it sounds a bit funny really because he's the smaller guy, but I think he is, he has the bigger one-shot power than Fury. Fury doesn't have the, I say he doesn't have the power, it clearly does, but he doesn't have the kind of resume of one-punch knockouts. He, we, we saw it against Wilder both times. He he grinds guys down with this real kind of fudding power, 18 stone plus behind it. Um, but White has that, that kind of single lights out type shot with his, with his left hook. And so I think the fight could, and 
it, it could really play into White, White's hands if it gets quite scrappy, if it gets kind of fought in close quarters. I think the the absolute nightmare for Dillian White here is if Fury decides to keep him on his toes and fights at, at distance or even kind of mid-range. I don't think White is, that's not going to do White any favours at all. But I think if it gets scruffy, um, it does just leave that door ajar for White. And I don't, I don't see him winning, but there is that potential kind of lightning strike scenario where he does catch him. Um, a couple of notes I've got here and sort of to digress on your initial question actually was there are a couple of kind of intangibles about fury that I think are, are worth mentioning here for any, for any better. And both of those kind of come outside the ring. If you're talking about inactivity for, for white, I think fury has a couple of kind of outside, um, type, what I'm trying to say factors as well. Now fury has been talking about retirement. He's talked about retirement before and he's retired before. He's talking about retirement again. And if you look back on the the kind of history of fighters who've come into a fight saying, this is my last fight, this is my last fight. Now, whether Fury means it or not, we don't quite know. And Fury says a lot of stuff. But if if he's going in thinking this is his last fight, we saw it against... we saw it with rather Carl Frampton quite recently. He he was going into that Jamal Herring fight knowing that this is his last fight, win or lose. And I think it does affect fighters a little bit, potentially more than that, going in with that kind of this is my this is my swan song type thing. Um the other, you know, Fury's had some tough, tough questions outside the ring this week. Um, you know, his management company, all of that kind of saga as well. There is just a potential chance that he's just a little bit rattled. People have seen it in interviews. And I think if there is a guy that could take advantage of that, a guy who who doesn't care, frankly, it would be Dillian White. And he would be the guy to, to really test that resolve. And I think that's where it's interesting. I think that the inactivity for White is a potential factor, but I think he's the guy who you wouldn't worry about that so much. Yeah, sure. The um, I mean, yeah, totally, totally agree on that. And another point that you kind of touched upon there, which I'll kind of ask Andy on, is that with the um the way that fury's personality is and things like that i get the what well, not i get the senses i kind of know that he's he's a guy who needs to be up for it he's a guy who needs to kind of have that challenge in front of him and i, I think in the third fight with Deontay wilder i think you kind of saw that a little bit in terms of how that went from the second fight to the third fight because the second fight obviously you had the you know the kind of there was the risk factor there. There was, you know, the big punch in Wilder. The you know, he wanted to prove that he was the best, and he went out and delivered, a, you know, probably the best performance of his career. And then the third fight, although it was a, you know, obviously it was a, it was technically a good performance, but there was kind of gaping holes in, you know, getting hit, and he looked a little bit more vulnerable, not in quite as good shape. And he kind of, again, against Klitschko, when he boxed Klitschko, he was, I mean, he was ultra sharp that night wasn't he he was kind of up on his toes he was kind of you know you don't think Klitschko barely landed a punch on him so with this uh in terms of the inactivity and the question to you Andy is that in terms of Fury being kind of up for it and having the challenge in front of him do you think that Dillian White is enough of a challenge and enough of a contender in Fury's kind of strange head shall we say to uh to warrant him to be on on the top of his game I do I do because what you've got to remember in all of this is the Wembley factor as well. Yeah. Boxing at that stadium in front of 94,000 people, it's, it's huge. It's historic. This is the, the richest fight in British boxing history, as, as Frank Warren reminded us the other day. Um, we've had 90,000 in there a couple of times for Anthony Joshua, but this will be the biggest and the best. It will break all records. And for that reason, I just do not see him taking his eye off the ball here. I do think uh, that he probably will fight a fight which will give Dillian White 
his best chance. I don't think he'll get up on his toes and move, certainly not to start with anyway. He's always got that there if he needs it, uh, but he chose not to do that in the second fight against Wilder. We've seen the stylistic shift since that first fight and he chose not to do it in the in the third fight. Now, the third fight just turned into an, an all-out epic war, as we know, but, but early on, it, it was going exactly to plan. Wilder had a nice start to the fight, but then Fury knocked Wilder down in the third and we all thought, oh, okay, you know, the, the, the beginning of the end. And then in the fourth round, Fury goes down a couple of times and all bets are off and, and uh, everything went completely crazy. So it wasn't a perfect performance by any means, but I just think he's got complete confidence in his all round skill set. I don't expect any complacency from him because he knows that in that division, in the top five or six, you, you would never go as far as to say, oh, anybody can be anybody on their day. That's just not true. But but when you're talking about the top of the tree, then if you're not on your game, you can lose to anyone. You know, I'm not, not disparaging Andy Ruiz here, but nobody expected him to do to Joshua what he did. And it happened because Joshua maybe got a bit complacent. But I look at that fight week and I was there for that. And I look at, look at this one and they're not in any way similar. Joshua was asked hundreds of questions about Wilder that week, about two about Andy Ruiz, letting Andy Ruiz's belt. All of these things look horrific in hindsight. Um, and I'm not saying that he didn't train hard and all the rest of it, but that edge of fear that you need to have that you might lose definitely wasn't there. With Fury, I think, because he's been doing this such a long time, I don't think he ever gets in that ring as comfortable as he is in there. I don't think he ever gets in that ring without that kind of, you know, devil on his shoulder, just whispering in his ear, you know, you, you are just a fighter. You know, anybody can get beaten here. Pay attention. Just to butt in on that as well, I think on the complacency side, I think there's an argument to say that Fury has had that wake up before. I think if he was ever going into a fight, a fight complacent and it showed, it would have been against Otto Wallin. And that's, uh, again, a, a little while ago, a different training camp. But I think if he went into that fight thinking, I'm, I'm so much better than this guy and just kind of scrape through it, I don't think he would make that same mistake against um, a guy as dangerous as White. No, no, I, I, I agree with that. And um, just on a couple of things you touched on, Tommy, and it's interesting, you know, to think that what's going on outside the ring uh, might get get inside his head and, and things of that nature. With a less experienced guy, I think I think that, that really could. Um, but with someone like him, you know, you look at guys who've been boxing for a really long time. Um, I'm not just talking about at the top level, but just as from a child, you know, they know when to flip that switch. Uh, and they can do it and they can do it at will really as soon as they want to do it when they get in the changing room the locker room whenever whenever it is when it's their hands being wrapped or 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 you know whatever the, the trigger is for it they can do it uh, and then at that point everything else just retreats into nothingness and they're just they're just concentrated on that one task yeah, I mean, he's a he is a unique, unique character as well. He feels like he takes everything just in his stride and doesn't really doesn't really care too much. But like you say, when he when he gets in there, he switches on, and he's he's obviously a, a world class fighter. Um, and you touch, I mean, you touched upon it just there, and you said about the stylistic kind of character of um, Fury in the in the Wilder fight. Um, one thing I did notice uh, this week, and I'm sure you would have seen it being there at the uh, at the presence and stuff, when um, Fury was on the on the pads as, as it was in the open workout. Um, I noticed he was boxing Southpaw on the pads. So he was actually, and he didn't actually change um, at all. So he would just done a complete open workout session. I think he boxed the whole session Southpaw. Now, as Tom touched upon as well, Fury does a lot of strange things to try and get into people's heads. And maybe he's doing that to get into Dillian White's head. Or 
do you think that he might actually come out? Because obviously with Dillian White, I would say that his, you know, his main kind of asset is the left hook. And obviously a lot of people are saying that he can win by, you know, knockout is his only chance. So is he potentially going to come into this fight and like the key to victory, I suppose, for both fighters and potentially box the fight southward to try and take away and nullify that kind of left hook of White? And because I don't think he's boxed Southport many times before. I think he boxed against John McDermott. I think it was Southport and there might have been another one or two other fights that he's done it, but generally he hasn't. Um, is there a chance that he could come in and box this whole fight Southport? I don't think so. I, I wouldn't see him doing it for the whole fight. He switched it up against Chisora in the second fight quite a bit and that was a very good performance. He's capable of doing it. We, we know that and he might go to it at times if he feels like he needs to. I don't think it would have bothered Dillian White all that much because again, they'll know that he can do that, that that's a possibility for them. But I think they will just have prepared for this fight, looking at what Fury is most likely to do. And, and the interesting thing too is that getting sparring for someone like Fury to replicate Fury is, is, is really difficult. You know, there are certain fighters where getting the sparring is hard, Usyk difficult, Lomachenko difficult, Fury difficult. They're probably the, the worst three. But the longer I kind of watch elite sport, the more I kind of realise that the athletes prepare as best they can. One of the main points of having a good training camp, whatever it is you're preparing for, is because it just keeps your own self-doubt if you have any, and they all do, even though they might not appear like they do. It keeps that under control because you know that you've done what you should have done uh, and you've you've clocked your times and, and, your, and your weights and, and your number of rounds of sparring and all that kind of thing. But ultimately, when the bell goes or the gun goes or the whistle goes, you're winging it. That's what everyone's doing because it's a reactive sport. You don't know for sure what they're going to do and they don't know for sure what you're going to do. You're reacting off each other. You'll have a game plan which in an ideal world would be exactly how things work out, but it never does because that's just not what happens. Um, and that's what I really like about this fight is we've got two fighters, two characters who are just really experienced in fighting. White had kickboxing and MMA, but they've both been doing this for a really long time. And I think that's how they'll look at it. They'll think, listen, yeah, I've had a great camp, yada, yada. I'll tell you all of that. You know, brilliant stuff, did loads of sit-ups, happy days. Let's see what happens when the bell goes. And I don't think it'll bother Dillian White if, if Tyson Fury comes out on the unicycle. It, it just it just doesn't matter. They've then just got to get a hold of each other and get it done. Yeah, true. No, you make a you make you make a good point. I mean, uh, in terms of when we kind of wrap this up, in terms of the uh, the Fury White fight, I mean, obviously we've touched quite a lot upon how Fury will kind of box. Um, we'll go to our kind of fight predictions in a moment, but in terms of kind of Dillian White, and I know we've touched upon a few points of him um tom i'll go to you do you think that i know everyone likes saying it's gonna the only way he can win is you know landing a, a left hook a puncher's chance and stuff like that he is he is a good fighter he's won uh he's won you know 12 round decisions multiple times at not maybe quite the level that fury's at but you know good good fighters you know uh joseph pascar rivers people like that like he, he has pedigree to go the distance and you feel that maybe there's there's any chance that White could even you know maybe win this fight on points, or is it literally a case of he's going to lose almost every round, and if he can kind of land land a big one, if Fury gets sloppy, then that's the only way he's going to win. No, I saw um, White to win a decision. I think it was twenty five to one. I saw on that um, earlier in the week, and I mean that's kind of up there with a draw price. Effectively, draws about thirty to one. White to win a decision, twenty-five to one, which 
Sounds crazy. I think the only way that White could do that is he's not going to outbox Fury, but I don't think that Frank, uh, frankly, it's going to be that kind of fight. I think it is going to be a, a toe-to-toe war. Um, and I think the only way he would do that is you're, you're kind of talking real edge case stuff here, but if he were to score a couple of knockdowns along the way and Fury wasn't, and then maybe, I, you know, you're, you're, I think you're kind of clutching at straws, <laughs> as, as you'd expect with a 4% chance on the 25 to 1. But no, I, I think yeah. if it goes to 12 rounds, Fury wins. Uh, I, I think White's only chance, he's got more than a puncher's chance, but he's reliant, I think, on the one punch that he has um, to get it done. Yeah, sure. I mean, the... Um... It would be it would be um, interesting if he did if he did outbox Fury and go on to win on points, but um, we'll see what happens. The uh, we'll go to the final part of this, so we'll go um, as usual. We go round and we'll get our kind of we you know and an- analyze the odds, and we've given different views, different opinions, and different things that can happen. Um, often these big fights, especially, you'll get things. You know, there's many variables that can happen. Um, Andy, I'll go to you first. Uh, big fight prediction from your pal. The uh, you can go, you know, a win, uh, rounds, um, what's your, what's your kind of consensus? I know you said that you had round eight on your mind. So is it, you're going to stick with round eight or you're going to kind of cover yourself from eight to 12 maybe? No, I think I'll stick with that. I think I'll stick with that. If I had to give a, a spread, I would, I think I'll go for seven to nine. Um, because I think it, it could maybe be over, it could maybe be over before eight. Um, yeah. but, I, but, but eight's the one that's just kind of occurred to me during, during the week. So I'll, I'll, I'll nail my colors firmly to, uh, to that ring post. Um, <laughs> I do quite fancy maybe Fury to get put down and have to get off the canvas to win. Um, Cause I think Dillian needs to go for it early. He can't be too gung ho or reckless. Nobody can at this level. If you just come to the center of the ring, slinging punches apropos of nothing, you'll get slaughtered. Uh, but he does need to be aggressive early. Um, wouldn't that make for a great fight? You know, much like the third Wilder fight, if, if White could put Fury down and then Tyson yeah. gets off the canvas and wins by stoppage in round eight, that, you know, that would be my um, dream ticket, I guess, really. I guess, really, in terms of making a prediction. <laughs> a few uh, a few listeners are going to be uh, going to be lumping in on uh, round eight now. So we've got that's <laughs> very. Um, Tom, I'll go to you. I'll go to you, mate. The um, what's your uh, what's your final thoughts on this one, and uh, how do you see it going, and what's your kind of prediction for the fight? Uh, it's really interesting. Andy has picked out round eight um, because the the over underline on this fight is generally eight point five, um, nine point five. Pinnacle have it um, kind of even money ish, um, just below either way. Uh, I think. I'm inclined to go under that. I think it will be a shorter fight than certainly nine rounds. Um, if there's a fight that I think it will, will look more like, it's not going to be Fury Wilder three. It would be another heavyweight stadium fight from a few years ago. Um, and that's Hage Azora. I think it could be very, very lively quite quickly, but I think it could end quite suddenly in the, in the mid rounds. I'm not, going to go anything too soon but I think Fury in maybe five six um, if I'm going to give a bracket like Andy Dunk I'm going to say four to six uh, I, I just have a feeling that if he is dialed in like I think he probably will be and White is as game as he is um, I think there's a chance that Fury puts him down and we, I don't believe that White has the durability or the the kind of kind of bounce back ability if you like that Fury has I think if White goes down hard Against Fury, I, I kind of struggle to see him getting back up. And I think Fury, Fury will end it um, in, in the mid-rounds. 
yeah, I, um, I kind of, uh, I won't go into the analysis of it as such, but I kind of share both your guys' opinions on that in terms of the way that I see this is kind of fury between kind of five to nine, I think, um, roughly around about, around about that, which we'll probably get a decent price on um, through that. And I think that's the kind of, like you say, Tom, I don't see that White's kind of got, I wouldn't say the chin, but kind of like he's someone when he gets hit, he is kind of, he stays kind of hurt, doesn't he? And I don't think that he'll have the bounce back ability. If Fury does get hurt, you can kind of see him dogging it out. And I'll kind of pick, my pick will probably be Fury um, between five and nine. So, um, well, Chris, five, five, five to nine. <laughs> yeah, five that's to that's nine. too big. It's the, uh, it's the, I think that's the first time ever on, on the podcast that we've actually had a straight agreement across uh, pretty much every guest on it. So um, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll earn our listeners a few quid. Yeah, as a, a touch point, we'll move on to um, a couple more fights that we've got coming up. I mean, the, the boxing schedule is looking uh, pretty tasty at the minute as we um, go into uh, May nearly. We've got a few, um, well, we've got plenty of big fights coming up, but we can only really cover a selection of them on this uh, this episode. But we'll be sure to cover the, the other bigger ones in the uh, in the next few episodes ahead. But um, a fight I wanted to touch upon with you guys, which really, really intrigued me, is the uh, Oscar Valdez against uh, Shakur Stevenson fight. Um, WBC champion um, Oscar Valdez, uh, 30 and 0. He's facing Shakur Stevenson, 17 and 0. Um, super featherweight unification clash, Las Vegas. Um, I suppose Valdez is the tried and tested one of the two as such. Um, I think Stevenson, I mean, he's one of, you know, America's hottest talents. He's ticked for superstardom. I mean, firstly, what a fight this is. Um, one that really kind of intrigues me. Um, and when you get kind of fights that um, that are from Las Vegas and we over in the UK, if we stay up from, it's a fight that I'll be staying up for to watch. It gets me kind of intrigued as to what's going to happen. Um Tom, when we kind of look at Valdez, I mean, Valdez is no stranger to being an underdog. I remember when we had, um, I think we had, when we had uh, Crawler on um, on the episode uh, a few months back um, and Johnny Nelson, they both said that when he boxed Miguel Burchell, that they was, I think everyone um, initially picked Burchell to, to kind of beat Valdez. Um, it was almost like the opinion that it was, you know, Burchell will win. I think he was fairly heavy betting favourite. Yeah. Um, definitely an odds on favourite in that fight. Um, Valdez goes out and, and kind of a stunning knockout, probably one of the knockouts of the year. Um, brilliant performance and made the odds almost look ridiculous, to be honest. Um, the, I mean, in this fight, can you see anything like that happening again with Stevenson? I know, like I just touched on there, he's he's obviously a special talent, isn't he? Um, do you think he's he's that good that he will actually even even allow that to happen? Uh, I think he is that good. Um, and I was one of those who took a little while to warm up to Stevenson as a pro. I think he he's, he doesn't flatter to deceive, but he was almost, you just felt watching him that he had a, another gear or two. And I think we saw that against um, Jamal Herring last time. And I think he's probably got another gear again in him. And he's still only a young guy, as we know. Um, something really interesting about this is the, is the odds. And obviously this is a very, very different fight to Fury versus White. But the odds are effectively the same. You've yeah. got Valdez at 5.5, so 9 to 2, so uh, 18%. And you've got Stevenson 1.15, so 
No, I, I think I said something like this before on a, on a recent pod, but if you're choosing between different underdogs, you've got Dillian White or Oscar Valdez, both exactly the same price. You're going to take Oscar Valdez as the underdog there every day of the week, aren't you? Um, I think he just has more, he has more ways to win. Stevenson is less proven than Fury, obviously. Um, but if you're asking me to pick a winner, I, I think Stevenson is going to win very well. I think he is that good. I think he is the the next big American star coming through. Certainly that's what Bob Aaron would like to think. And I think Stevenson will, he's not going to kind of shut Valdez out, I don't think, because Valdez just ha- doesn't have that style. And I think he's going to make it competitive. But I do see Stevenson winning kind of an 8-4 eight, eight, in rounds type decision. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'll go to you, Andy, after that. I mean, Tom touched upon it there with the um with the odds uh stevenson is is a heavy favorite in the betting um again so obviously you know valdez is you know the older guy he's kind of been around the block a little bit more stevenson more like the up-and-coming fighter but after what he did to to heron it kind of looks as if he is he is a bit special do you kind of share i suppose the odds views on this and also what tom's touched upon about Stevenson being dominant and if he is dominant is do you see the fight kind of going the distance or do you see a possible stoppage here for Stevenson? I do see Stevenson as the favourite and, and it's interesting that the odds are similar to to Fury White because like Dillian White I absolutely do not discount Oscar Valdez he's always been a bit of a favourite of mine actually he's, he's great to watch yeah. he's achieved an awful lot but I just don't think he's going to win because yeah. I think Stevenson is a, is a better fighter uh, and we don't have that same kind of body of work on Stevenson's behalf as we do on Furies. If you're looking purely at body of work, then you would make this pretty even. But in their last fights, in their most recent efforts, Stevenson was terrific against Jamel Herring, who, as we saw against Carl Frampton, still very much um, a a very strong world-level fighter. And Valdez was lucky against Robson Conceição, I thought. Um, yeah. Great win against Butchel, but he was lucky against Robson Conceição, who, like Stevenson, is an Olympian um, and a good, skillful fighter. Uh, and I just think that Stevenson is one of those lads you see where, as Tom said, you don't have any real doubt that they can lift it when they need to. I'm going to slightly contradict myself because I'm, I'm almost teetering into the territory there of gut feelings. But um, a bit like when Javante Davis came along, you, you heard the reputation that he had and just how sure the people around him were and very knowledgeable people that he was that he was the business. And it wasn't the bombastic, you know, nonsense that you usually hear. It was that rock solid, quiet confidence. Yeah, we'll put him in with Pedraza. That'll be fine. Uh, at 12 and 0, having boxed practically nobody really. And Stevenson's kind of in that bracket. Um, I, I think wide points... But I wouldn't rule out a kind of latest stoppage because I think he'll want it. And I think if he feels like he's ahead and he's able to just punish Valdez a bit because he's got that that extra level of skill, uh, then I don't think he'll coast. I really don't think he will. I think he knows what this business is about. He knows what people want to see um, and he'll want to give it to them. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, I agree with both of you guys as well. And I think the, um, the consensus as well with Valdez, especially is that, like Tom touched upon, he's had a couple of, um, he's had a couple of kind of, lucky decisions as such and he's almost as if he's like almost now there to be beat if that makes sense as in someone someone who's you know off Stevenson's level is going to come along and beat him it's almost as if he's due a loss and it almost feels as if this fight is the fight that he that will kind of you know the change of the guard as such um, I agree with that I think Stevenson will win that fight fairly comfortably but again I don't 
I don't rule Valdez completely out because he's he has he can turn things around and he is a he is a tough tough guy. He a very had a very good fighter as well, but I think Stevens is just that little bit got that little bit of uh, kind of star quality to him. So I'll go go with uh, Stevenson for that one. I mean, we'll move on to the to the last fight that um, we want to cover, and it's um, Katie Taylor against Amanda Serrano. Now, I mean, this is a this is a great fight in women's boxing. It's being dubbed as the biggest fight ever, actually, in women's boxing. Um, obviously, you can argue this either way, but it's probably pound for pound, one and two, kind of going at it. Um, Madison Square Garden. I think tickets are flying off the roof. I think Eddie Hearn said the other day that basically he's had more kind of media and PR requests for this fight than he's he's ever had for even some of the other fights. I mean, I know Eddie says a lot of things, but it probably shows that uh, probably shows that it's um, it's doing very well. Um, the odds on this one, unlike the other two fights, um, where this is absolutely razor close, um, and I've seen very contrasting opinions on who people think will win. Um, I believe the betting line actually as well, and Tom, you'll probably, if I'm wrong on this, I'm sure you'll correct me on it, but I'm sure that the betting line has actually flipped um, from when it opened to what it is now. Um, I, I know that with um, Pinnacle, we had it installed as, I'm sure that we had Katie Taylor installed as favourite. Now Serrano is actually into favourite. So it kind of shows where the money's going. Um, people kind of back in Serrano. I think... With Taylor, it's almost as if people feel that she's a little bit like Valdez, maybe ready to be beat. Um, she hasn't quite performed as well as she did maybe in the last few years. But I do wonder if that is maybe kind of a motivational factor. And when she's had opponents where she kind of knows that she can beat and Serrano could be that test where she really kind of comes out and shows just how good she is. Um, almost like a poses a comparison I kind of look at it as like a Joe Calzaghe Jeff, Jeff Lacey kind of moment where people kind of doubted Calzaghe quite a lot and he kind of come in against Jeff Lacey and I think Calzaghe at the time I think Lacey was a quite a heavy betting favorite at the time and Calzaghe obviously put in you know the performance of his career um Andy I'll go to you first do you think I mean with that comparison do you feel that this is a fight that I mean the odds are obviously razor close so it should be a, a very close fight do you feel that Serrano being favorite is correct or do you feel that Katie Taylor should be the favorite in this one and if she should be do you think that she's got it in her still uh, I, I think she's around 35 36 now to deliver the performance to be able to beat someone of Amanda Serrano's quality that, those are a, those are a load of tough questions and, and that, that's what makes this such a good fight because they are imponderables and I've been pondering them the last few weeks and I've changed my mind a few times on this one, actually. Originally, I thought Serrano, because I think she's that bit younger, that bit fresher, although she's had a lot of fights, you know, there's not really that many miles on the clock. She's very dedicated. She's traversed through seven different weight divisions and she can definitely, definitely fight. And I just thought maybe Taylor was ready to lose because she's had a very long, hard career. People forget, you know, she was an elite level amateur for 10, 12 years. And the pressure on her was massive. Like the pressure she's been under for, for forever, seemingly to win every single time she gets in there. That's, that's what the Irish fight fans, you know, expect of her. And that, that, that's got to, you know, that's got to take its toll and, and she expects an awful lot of herself. But the last week or so, I've been beginning to think to myself, I think Taylor can win this fight. I think she can win this fight. Um, and I'm actually picking her now because a lot of it's to do with the two minute rounds. Can she 
go like a lunatic for two minutes or do what she needs to do for two minutes, recover in the minute in between and do it again, rinse and repeat 10 times, despite her age, despite, you know, the, the amount of boxing that she's done. I think she can. I think she can do it one more time. I think I think Serrano might be a little bit surprised by the ferocity of Taylor because I don't think she's been in with anybody like her. In fact, she hasn't, has she? That's that's not a controversial statement. She hasn't, uh, and as accomplished as she is, that could come as a bit of a a bit of a surprise. You know, to stay with Katie Taylor is not an easy thing to do. No, I mean, uh, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's funny listening to you there because you've literally shared the exact same opinion as me. I mean, I kind of had that thought originally that Serrano would probably win and maybe like give a, a bit of the edge because Taylor was, you know, kind of there to be taken. But the closer it gets to it and the more I see it, I feel like Taylor's going to put in a, you know, a bit of a unique performance and like really be up for this one. Just dig uh, it out. Just dig it yeah. out at all costs, at all costs. And her her will to win is, is, is you will not see many more fierce will to, wills to win than and the one she's got. And I think even to the point where it can it can take opponents a bit by surprise, even at that level where they all feel like, you know, nobody wants to win more than me, but I think she's a different level. Uh, honestly, I always have. Yeah, sure. The um, I mean, Tom, we'll go to you just to touch upon, just to kind of wrap things up with the uh, the last fight. I mean, the odds, um, I can't remember if I mentioned them at the start, but uh, Serrano 1.724, Taylor 2.180. Obviously the line again, like I said, has flipped. So, uh, Taylor's come out from favourite to underdog and vice versa. So, in terms of the odds, do you what, what's, your, what's your thoughts on kind of where they sit? And do you see do you see the value in Taylor now? Maybe that she's gone out as underdog. Yeah, I do. I do. Um, those odds you mentioned there. Um, so two point one eight, um, not far off six to five. So that puts Taylor forty six percent chance. Um, Serrano fifty eight percent chance at one point seven two. Uh, I think Taylor is the value there. I think it's quite simplistic. People have, look, Taylor's kind of gone off the boil. It feels a little bit. She's worked through these mandatories. She hasn't had a big, big fight really since the Pursum rematch. But Serrano, I think her she's had her best nights down the weights. I've got no doubt she can fight at lightweight, but she's accomplished a lot at Feather, at, at Bantam and so on and so on. Um but she, people are kind of saying, look, this is Taylor's one last big, big night. And it might well be, but Serrano has had 44 fights. She's 33 years old. She's already talking about having one more year. I saw uh, in an interview earlier, and then she's off to WWE. I think it, it's not the kind of the the young upstart against the, the legend that's bowing out. And I think yeah. in terms of value, um, if, if you're saying it is a 50-50 fight, and I don't think it is, I, I think I would make Taylor's slight favourite anyway um, for for maybe one one big night. It's going to gonna go the distance, I think. But I, I, yeah, I just fancy Taylor at the price, um, especially to uh, to get it done. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, three uh, three opinions, the same across the board. So uh, we'll see how we uh, we see how we get on when we uh, revisit on the next episode, which will be the uh, Canelo Alvarez against Dimitri Bibble uh, headliner, which promises to be another cracking bout. Um, I mean, that's just about it for today um, for, for our listeners. I mean, all of the odds that we've talked about or discussed on the podcast, uh, they're all available at uh, www.pinnacle.com. Um, and under our boxing odds section and actually for the first time ever in our boxing betting markets Pinnacle Tom will be quite surprised at this Pinnacle have actually priced up a host <laughs> of props um, 
and we're actually going to have um, multiple props and multiple specials on uh, fight night. So uh, they'll also have some of the best odds around um, with the highest limits and the lowest margins. Um, so if you want to bet on any of these props, head over to pinnacle.com and always remember to gamble responsibly.